Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, recording for you here on Monday, June 21st. Decided with the Cardinals off day today, I would record the episode this morning. Following Sunday's doubleheader for the Cardinals on Father's Day. Started off strong enough, didn't it? 9-1 to win for the Cardinals in Game 1 on Sunday afternoon. The offense came to life. You got homers from Arenado and Goldschmidt. Both homering in the same game for the second time this season. The first instance was all the way back in April. But it was great to see them both get it going in Game 1. Edmund had a 3-for-4 day, scored three runs, setting the table with a couple of bunt hits toward Austin Riley at third base. I, I thought that had to have been an intentional plan coming into the game to do it twice and succeed twice in a row with that. So that was good. Carlson hit one really well to right center. off It banged high off the wall. Would have been a home run if it were a little bit to the left it had the distance it just the the wall happened to get about eight feet taller right where he hit that ball really good swing good to see a couple of hits and runs scored for him Goldschmidt went three for four had the four RBIs Nolan had a double in addition to his homer and he walked in a run with the bases loaded for another run batted in Tyler O'Neill got on the board with a one for three day an RBI hit and a run scored if we just had that one game to talk about from Sunday it would be all positives Regarding the St. Louis Cardinals, Adam Wainwright was spectacular in another seven-inning outing for him. It just seems like when he comes into a game that only intends to go seven innings, you you kind of figure if he's able to have a good start in those first few innings and stay relatively efficient, he's going to finish the game. And that's what he did yesterday and did it with style 11 strikeouts for the 39-year-old Waino. Great outing. Cardinals needed it. He has been the stopper for this team this season. Throughout this losing streak, he hasn't lost. Three wins in a row for the Cardinals with Wainwright on the hill in his last three starts. So it was wonderful. Cardinals got to Bryce Wilson. Didn't need the bullpen. Got got that group some rest, which is great to see in a, a doubleheader situation. And the offense scoring in multiple innings. You know, the fact that they're able to score four times in four different innings in a seven-inning game, you like that You like that a lot compared to what you then see in game two where Cardinals don't score at all and almost get faux-hittered. I kind of came up with that last night, the faux-hitter, because if there would have been a no-hitter in the seven-inning game like Madison Bumgarner earlier this season, it doesn't count as an official no-hitter, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Adam Wainwright got credited for his official complete game, even though he only went seven innings. That's what MLB had decided, is that no-hitters on these seven-inning doubleheaders don't actually count as official no-hitters. Fortunately for the Cardinals, they were able to avoid that embarrassment and the conversation about whether or not it should have counted by getting a couple of in- infield hits late in that game. But they lose one nothing on a Ronald Acuna Jr. homer. He got to KK in the third inning of that ball game. 
Kwon Young Kim, very efficient, four innings, only threw 47 pitches. But then Mike Schilt pinch hits for him, trying to get some offense there before the fifth inning, so he only gets through four in this game, and you can definitely call that a hard luck loser situation. Gave up three hits, the one homer, and a walk. couple of strikeouts in four innings. Once again, just 47 pitches, 32 strikes. He looks like he's definitely tracking in the right direction. Said after the game and, and kind of reverted back to something he'd said his previous start coming off of the injured list that after about three starts is when he felt like physically he would be back to where he wants to be, back into the swing of things with the back issues that he's had. And thought that was maybe a little curious that oftentimes when a guy comes off an injured list situation and you ask how he feels physically, oh, I feel great, everything's good. KK was honest about that in his first after his first outing and said, Figured he'd need about three, and so this was his second outing. Looks good. If he's if the Cardinals are able to get that KK back every fifth day, it'll be a huge benefit to the team because that's the guy that he was last season. Yeah, he'll give up a homer every now and again. May not be a huge strikeout guy, but you could you, you talk about over the course of typical outings for him getting five, six, maybe even get him into the seventh inning at some point, and you're in the one to two run range. That's definitely on target for keeping the Cardinals in games, giving them a chance to win them. But the offense didn't show up in game two in order to support KK. And so Kim takes a loss. Helsley and Cabrera came in and did a fine job, combined five strikeouts in two innings of relief out of the Cardinals bullpen. But look, it's a, it's a story of night and day between the Cardinals offense in game one and game two. Edmund, Carlson, O'Neill. Sosa to Young and Kisner all going over in game two. Couple of walks for O'Neill, so you, you credit him for his contributions on that front, getting on base a couple of times. Cardinals would love to see him take some more walks to go along with the mammoth power that he possesses. Did have a strikeout. Cardinals were struck out eight times over the course of the seven innings. Drew Smiley did a really nice job for Atlanta, and again, that's one of those deals where do you credit the opposing pitcher for going five and two-thirds, giving up just one hit, striking out five times, and he's got a 5.11 ERA even after the scoreless outing? You know, this guy didn't come into this game as a dominant pitcher on the season, and he just ends up looking like one nevertheless against the Cardinals for nearly six innings. Came out after giving up the first hit, and then the Braves go to their bullpen, and Luke Jackson and Will Smith, who stymied the Cardinals thereafter, Three strikeouts and four total outs. Eight Ks on the day for Cardinals hitting across seven innings. What do you say at this point? You know, it's it's kind of a, a repetition of similar themes that we've talked about throughout the season. And of late, of late, the, the offense has just flat out not been there. And so at least on Sunday, you can say it was more of a feast or famine. As I said on Twitter, feast or famine is better than just starving. And the Cardinals, for the most part, offensively had been starving over the last few weeks. They got a good one in in Game 1 against the Braves, but lose Game 2, which means they go 1-4 for four in the series, dropping the four-game set. And if you think back to a, a few podcasts ago on B-Shape Daily, I talked about this upcoming stretch for the Cardinals and the fact that they had an opportunity before them to beat up on some more bad teams. Now, again, the Braves, while their record is worse than the Cardinals, even after taking three or four from St. Louis, our expectation for the Braves, especially coming into the year, 
and I think for my, myself personally, even over the course of the rest of the season, is not that Atlanta would be a bad team. I still think the Braves can make the playoffs. I think they could find a way to win that, that NL East. I'd have to go back and look at what I had before the season, but if I recall correctly, I picked the Braves to win the division. And even though they've not gotten off to the start that they would have hoped for, and they're sitting similarly to the Cardinals in fourth place in their division, actually tied for third at 33 and 36, five games off of the lead of the New York Mets, who sit in first place in that division on the strength of a really quality home record of 20 and 7. But I just don't think that the Braves are out of it yet. They, they have too good of a lineup. If their pitching can get healthy and they can get some, some of their pieces back from their lineup, I think they could end up making a run in that East. I think they have, top to bottom, the most talented roster in the division. But that's why I say, you know, they had been playing poorly. I count that when I made the predictions, not the predictions, but I kind of stuck it on the bulletin board for the Cardinals to say, hey, 9-4 and four is what I think St. Louis needs to do for the remainder of June, and they start off 1-3. and three. So that would mean now 8-1 and one is what the prescription would, would recommend over the course of two games with the Detroit Tigers. That's a last-place team in the American League Central. Half game behind the Twins for that designation. And then you get four against the Pittsburgh Pirates, last place in the NL Central. I don't believe the Cardinals are at risk of falling below that team. They're currently 10 games ahead of the Pirates in the standings. And then another last place team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 20-53 and 53 on the season. And I may not be exactly up on this, but I believe they are losers of 17 straight games. And I saw this as well, just going over the trends for that team. I think they've lost something like 40 out of their last 45 games or something just absolutely absurd. Like the Cardinals haven't lost 40 games this season. And they haven't been the best of teams. So Arizona, I guess, got off to a decent enough start and then has just completely cratered into a team fast-tracking toward maybe 110 losses. It looks really bad. So, again, you thought the Marlins were bad when they played the Cardinals. They then turned around and played competitive baseball against the Cubs. So Cardinals tipped their cap to that. But playing these teams that are coming up, the Detroit Tigers, the Pirates, and the Diamondbacks, they're terrible. They are absolutely terrible. Now, St. Louis has had good luck, good fortune, I guess I should say. Don't call it luck. Good fortune against bad teams this season, going 17-1. and against teams with a lower than 450 winning percentage. That applies to every team they're about to see for the rest of the month. And in the case of the Diamondbacks, winning percentage of 274. I mean, that that's a batting average. That's not a winning percentage. So if the Cardinals, listen, I, I still think 9-4 and four should be attainable when you look at that schedule. More likely that they don't go 8-1, and one, but if can you go 7-2? and two? I mean, you don't even need momentum coming into a series against these kinds of teams to have expectations that you can just beat the tar out of them. And if the Cardinals don't do that, this is why we're spending so much time talking about this stretch in particular. And really, if I wanted to, I could extend that into a series against the Colorado Rockies that begins at the beginning of July. Because they're fourth place in the NL West, 30-43 and record. Not a very good team. They do play much better at home. 
Cardinals already swept the Rockies at Bush earlier this season. Now they got to go to Colorado, where the Rockies are 25 and 16 at home, five and 27 on the road. That's absurd. Cardinals are a little bit more down the middle with their splits home and away, 19 and 15 at home, a little bit above as you as you'd expect, 17 and 21 on the road, uh, which isn't terrible. I, I feel like the goal often for competitive winning teams is to be 500 on the road, and then just to really feast at home. Maybe not the goal. I mean, you could look at the Giants and the Dodgers, the Brewers even. There are several teams that are above 500 on the road. But if you're playing 500 on the road and getting as many series as you can rack up at home, I think that it's a decent winning recipe. So not really anything to speak of as far as the home and away splits for the Cardinals. This season, their issue has been the splits against good to mediocre teams where they don't fare so well. And then you're able to beat up on the bad teams. So... Here's why you're going to have to do that, because it does get more difficult leading up to the All-Star break after you, you face these these bottom barrel clubs. you got to play the Giants, you got to play the Cubs leading into the All-Star break, and then you got a lot more divisional games after the break throughout the course of the rest of the season. And the Reds, the Brewers, I mean, they're playing decent baseball right now. Those are teams at or above 500, and you know the Cubs, you know where they stand. It's Cubs and Brewers right now tied atop the division at 40 and 32. So it's it's almost like Cardinals fans, the Cardinals have got to take this next stretch in kind of two ways. One, you're not playing your best. Understand that. That's okay because you're facing inferior opponents that regardless of how well you're playing, you should be able to dominate. And so go win a bunch of games. That's exactly what you need to do. But then part two of that is, even if they do win a bunch of games, which is exactly what they should do over the course of their next 16-17, they should be well into double-digit wins. Then you get another test against the Giants and the Cubs, and that's part two. That's, okay, take any momentum that you've been able to build against these teams and channel that into some of the more competitive clubs that you're about to have to face with playoff implications. For the Cardinals, every game has playoff implications because you've got to be winning these kinds of games if, you're, if your designs on the playoffs are going to have any merit to them. Because what I think is the, the dark, seedy underbelly of what we could end up talking about a couple of weeks from now is what happens if the Cardinals don't dominate these next two and a half to three weeks. If the Cardinals are still muddling around at 500 when they head to San Francisco to take on the first place Giants before returning to Wrigley Field against what what could very well still be a first-place Cubs team at that point in time. Because in a lot of years, I would say, well, it would just be like the Cardinals to have this stretch. Everything's on a silver platter right in front of them over the next 17 games, and they go 8-9, and nine, or 9-8, nine and eight, and they basically tread water, but then turn around and take 6-7 or whatever it is from the Giants and Cubs. And there is an off day mixed in there now that I'm looking at it, the Cardinals only face the Giants for three and then the Cubs for three. So five out of six, whatever the case might be there. You know, in other years, I could see that. This year, I don't think that's going to be an option. I I think you have to destroy the bad clubs and tread water against the better ones until you can hope to find your groove in August, September with what ideally is going to be a more healthy and complete roster. But, I, I mean, it's kind of a weird schedule quirk, but... Like I said, it doesn't get any easier. Like it does right now. But once you get to July 4th, that's your last 
easy game of practically the month. If we're talking about July, looking ahead a little bit at the schedule. Kind of a weird quirk, but from July 5th to July 22nd, the Cardinals will play two teams, the Giants and the Cubs, both first-place opponents. Three against each team on the road before the All-Star break, and then they pick up right after the All-Star break. You do get these games at Bush, but three against the Giants and then four against the Cubs. So that's kind of a weird situation that I can't remember having anything quite like that in recent times. I know last year there was you know, a lot of overlap because you played the same teams over and over, but I think even then they spread it out a little better than this. But that's exactly what I'm talking about because that's 13 games against two first-place teams in a row. And then from there you got the Reds, 500 team right now, and then a couple against the Indians before you get to play the Twins, closing things out heading into the trade deadline. So month of July looks pretty tough, especially after that first weekend. Cardinals would do well to do everything they can right now to beat up on these bad teams. Now, what could give us confidence that that's going to be the case? Well, they've done it before. They've done it all season long. You know, they came into the Marlins series last week not looking good at all, not playing good baseball. You know, they had just come off the sweep against the Cubs, being on the downside of that one. And they didn't play their best baseball necessarily in the Marlins series, especially offensively. But the pitching got it done. And they were able to win all three games, as well they should have. And so now you look ahead, you got to trust that the pitching is going to be there, starting pitching. We saw good things from Wainwright and Kwon Young Kim in the Sunday doubleheader. Carlos Martinez is a question mark again. John Gant, I think, I don't really think you can even consider him a question mark at this point. You just kind of know what he's going to be. And sometimes he's going to be able to muddle through, give up one to three runs, in five-plus innings, and you have to hope that on those days the offense can score five or six and the bullpen can hold it right there, you can win those games. I, I don't think that you're going to see too many more John Gant starts where he's able to Houdini his way out of every situation, every jam, to keep games scoreless for the Cardinals. Like he's He's got good stuff, but unless he makes some adjustments, I don't. I, I think you're going to see him a little bit more like a number five than the guy who had the 1.60 ERA after a dozen starts or whatever it was. I think things are going to start to level out as they have for him a little bit. That's that's going to be a day of the week. You know you've got to have a little bit of extra offense for the most part to support the starter. Carlos is a total wild card at this point in time. Which actually brings me to a good opportunity to invite in one of our guest questions. If you want to leave me a voicemail at anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message, you can do so and have it played on the show. This is one from Will that I had meant to play and talk about on the show a few days ago, but kind of got lost in the shuffle. So we're going to play it now. One of his questions he asked here pertains to Mr. Martinez, and so we'll put that out there and then talk about it. Here's Will. Nice enough to phone in to the Be Shaped Daily podcast. Hey, Brendan, I don't hear much talk about Tommy Parsons. Um, had a great spring training for the Cardinals. He's a strike thrower. Uh, I think it'd be an awesome story of an undrafted Division Three guy cracking the major leagues and making an impact. I really think he could be the next Cardinals devil magic guy. Um, also how long before Tsunami gets relegated to the bullpen? 
two more bad starts, three more. Do they just not have enough bodies for the rotation? Maybe this guy could, you know, be a part of that A group in the bullpen. So thanks, Brendan. Thanks again to Will for chiming into the show. Sorry I didn't get to your message sooner, but fortunately for us, it still applies because Carlos's last outing, not a good one. And so question about what should happen to him, relegate to the bullpen. We'll definitely touch on that in just a moment. Wanted to get to Tommy Parsons because it's an interesting name. He did kind of make himself known. His presence was asserted in spring training. Did a nice job for the Cardinals down there. Kind of one of the guys that... It wasn't that he was often getting baked into the game plan with too much intentionality, but he was always, on the days that he would be scheduled to pitch in Grapefruit League play, he would be there as kind of a a backup to come in in the middle of innings and just be one of those guys that, you know, you you need a bunch of arms to get through games, and if you've got your, your main guys that have a pitch count in those early days of spring and they go over it, somebody's going to have to come in to finish the inning unless you roll it over, which the Cardinals also did on several occasions in spring. But Tommy Parsons kind of got a chance to to show his stuff for the big league staff in front of those Cardinals coaches and a lot of times against some pretty good competition relative to what he would always see in the minors. And so I like that you ask about him. I think the problem for Parsons, at least lately, would be, and again, I think it's kind of fair to unfair to judge because of the fact that he's been a starter with Memphis, and if he came to St. Louis, probably would be in a bullpen role. The walk rate, pretty high. He's definitely done better in June with that because in May, he had 12 walks for the month in 25 innings. In June, just one walk. And so he's looking like he's coming around in that regard. But he's given up several home runs this month. Five homers in just 16 innings of work. Decent strikeout rate. I think I'm seeing a lot of stuff that could be transferred to a big league bullpen role if the Cardinals would make that move. The problem is the fact that he is eating up five to six innings a night every fifth day in Memphis. Organizationally, I don't know if the Cardinals have the starting depth right now to transition too many of their Memphis starters into relief roles in the big leagues, but I think we've seen enough of a lot of the guys kind of coming back and forth, Junior Fernandez, Seth Elledge, Jake Woodford, these guys that are in that next category trying to cement themselves and find a place in the Cardinals bullpen, that at some point in time I could see Parsons being a guy worthy of an opportunity there. But to the other part of your question about Carlos Martinez, I think that's a fair question and something I brought up. I I did talk about this last time. I think that Carlos Martinez in the bullpen would be interesting because I think that could allow him to reset a little bit, and it, it might provide you another weapon out there because he's been that in the past as well. A lot of people were wondering whether the Cardinals could replace him in the rotation after the last outing. I don't know that that's going to be something the Cardinals do yet, but I, I could understand it if it were. I think they're hesitant to use Matthew Libertor before they feel they really have to unless they feel he's ready, which as of right now, I, I think the de- determination has been they'd, they'd like to see him get more time in the minors right now he's got a 4.26 era for the season at memphis which is the triple a has always been a a hitter's league typically although the cardinals have now shifted divisions they used to be in the pcl and so they are playing some different opponents this year so maybe that's not as much of a guarantee as it as it was in past years that offense has the advantage at that level and i think you'll see matthew libertor at some point i still think it'll be in 2021 to be quite honest with you I just don't know if the Cardinals are ready to make that move. 
But, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens kind of this week. Cardinals, of course, off today on Monday before taking on the Tigers in a two-game series, which begins on Tuesday. That'll be a Tuesday-Wednesday slate. And then they'll head straight into the four-gamer with the Pirates beginning on Thursday night at Bush Stadium. They're having the promotional items back over the weekend with the Yachty Tumblr on Friday and Saturday. And then on Sunday, a growth poster for the kids. So that's cool. Kind of thought it was funny. Some of the games last week against the Marlins, there was no promotional item because they were back to full capacity. And typically they only do those on the weekends and on the field before the game during batting practice. I, you could hear the stadium announcements and the, the, the walking around person with a microphone that they have on the big screen before the games. And they kept talking about there not being a promotional item for these games. It's just the baseball. And so I think Cardinals fans that did make their way to Bush, 24000 in change for each of those games, paid attendance, which we talked about the fact that I think there was probably fewer than that in the building for for at least a couple of those games. But for those who were there in attendance, I don't think they minded the lack of a pr- promotional item because you did get Cardinals winners on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of last week. Now go take care of business against the Detroit Tigers and then come home and play some really bad teams. And maybe run off 6 out of 7. At least 5 out of 7 over that course of that homestand, right? I don't think there's any reason to to do any less than that. So we'll see if the Cardinals are able to turn things around. Like, again, I I didn't want to rail too hard on the series in Atlanta today because you did end up winning a game yesterday, right? And they did it in really impressive fashion. But I think it's fair to notice and say, look, they lose that second game because they didn't score. Pitching wasn't the problem, and that's basically been the story over the course of this losing skid. I mean, you look for the month of June, it hasn't really been too pretty top to bottom because the Cardinals' struggles began in late May, toward the very end. I think they lost the last game of the Diamondbacks series, and then from there, struggles all the way around. So I won't even track it all the way back into May, which not doing so gives the Cardinals a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt here, but doing some quick math, one out of two versus the Dodgers, lose four to the Reds in a row, can't happen at Bush Stadium. I mean, just can't happen. So you're then at one and five, two and six after the Indian series, two and nine after the Cubs series, get back to five and nine, but now back down to six and 12 over the course of the month. So you're six games under right now if you're the Cardinals in June. You've got nine games to play. I think there should be every expectation to be able to get back as close to 500 as as possible. And you know, maybe a game below or maybe even a game above if they do rattle off 8 of 9 like I said they might want to consider doing given the struggles against the Braves over the weekend. So we'll see Cardinals are still right hanging in there. I mean, they're 500, but it the way the path to this from where they were has been very very concerning. The front office we've talked about has to be on the lookout for moves that could potentially upgrade this club. We've heard from John Mozalock in various mediums, spoke to the Post-Dispatch. He spoke on KMOX last weekend. It doesn't sound like a major trade is in the offing right at this moment. And, And maybe tomorrow we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the fact that some quotes that he had to Derek Gould in that story in the Post-Dispatch that Derek wrote over the weekend, just the fact that maybe they're not 
too interested in selling out for 2021 and having to feeling like they they're forcing themselves to make moves in order to win this season at the expense of the future. That should be a concern, I think, if if that's really how they feel. If it's a smokescreen, if they are plotting and and making laying the foundation to make additions here, then I think good, that's what they ought to be doing. But if really they're going to sit on their hands again, that's got to be frustrating because it feels like a lot of times in season, especially the Cardinals, most of the time either sit on their hands or they actually trade away from the the big league roster or the 40-man roster. Dating back to 2018 with Tommy Pham, that deal that was trading away from the big league roster for pieces that weren't going to help you that that summer. Right now, the Cardinals, are they have a Paul Goldsmith. They have a Nolan Arenado. They have Yachty and Wayno on maybe their last ride. This is not the time to... Uh, like I, I, I'm never saying because I've talked about this before. I don't believe in there being a window of opportunity, and then after that, you turn into the the team that loses for five years in a row and rebuilds. That's not what the Cardinals have ever done, and I think they've got enough young pitching in the pipeline. And when you get guys healthy, I think they've got the talent to be able to remain competitive. So I don't believe in the window, but I also I don't agree with the stance of you know being too overly cautious and too afraid to make a mistake. You got to trust in your ability to make in-season moves as a as a GM or as a president of baseball operations. Don't I, look, trades might be difficult to come by because other teams are aware of what you need. That's the nature of trading. That's the way it works. That's not unique to 2021 in the St. Louis Cardinals. That's always how it's been. And if you look at the track record of John Mozeliak, I'm not one of the people that says fire Mo. I mean, that's ridiculous in my opinion. I I think the Cardinals have made savvy moves, addressed areas where they've needed to, like going and getting an Arenado and a Goldschmidt. Now those moves have to pan out. Those players have to play to expectations. You know, if Goldschmidt struggles the rest of the season like he has to this point, and I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm not talking about a three for four and hitting a big three run homer. But you look at the whole body of work and the numbers. The OPS is still much lower, and we've talked about this at, at length on the show. So I don't need to dive into it here as we wrap up this episode, but they've they've acquired the kind of players that when it's happened, fans have said, oh yeah, that's that's awesome. Now now we're getting serious about putting together a lineup and trying to trying to go for it. But at some point you have to be able to supplement in season the kind of moves that you plan and you have time to plot in the winter. It takes time to develop, but sometimes part of the job is being able to adjust on the fly and find that those those tweaks that you can make in season, especially when in, in every offseason, it seems like, in every spring, it's, well, okay, this year it was the outfield. The outfield is unproven. We understand that, but we like our pieces. And always, you know, if if the pieces don't pan out, you can always make a trade in July and supplement that group. Well, right now, Tyler O'Neill is panning out 100%. Dylan Carlson, you're not making any moves to supplant him in the in the regular lineup or rotation. But your third outfield spot is kind of a chasm right now. You're playing Tommy Edmond out there. He's supposed to be your second baseman. A little bit of shuffling going on. That's okay. You can live with that. But, you know, even if, if Harrison Bader returns, I, I just, my concern would be they, they bank on a Harrison Bader return. And whether he returns or, or doesn't isn't necessarily the point. It's just that injuries are a part of the game and they have no depth whatsoever. So even if it's Harrison Bader coming back, maybe then it's Dylan Carlson who gets hurt. Maybe it's O'Neill who gets hurt. We've seen that happen multiple times this season. He's been on the IL twice. 
on the infield. You saw a time without DeYoung. Do you trust DeYoung offensively even enough to want him in the lineup? It's just a, a matter of when you look at the Cardinals at full strength, you feel pretty good about their daily lineup on paper. Like, you don't feel good about it when Goldsmith's not hitting, when Arenado's not hitting, when Edmonds not hitting. You don't feel good about anything when everybody at once is slumping. But what I'm looking at a little bit more is on paper, but subtract two or three names from the list, which is totally a thing that could happen. Even in August or September, that could be happening. Like right now, we think the Cardinals are in their most difficult injury-riddled stretch of the season, especially before DeYoung came back, and now he's back, and you still, you're still without Bader, but mostly on the pitching side, you, you've lost several names. Okay, let's talk about August. Let's say Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis comes back, though. What's to keep, you know, what's to keep other guys from then getting hurt? And now you're past the trade deadline. So I think the Cardinals, in advance of that, have got to be looking to add a bat. I don't really care what position he plays necessarily. I just want him to be impactful in the lineup. And don't look at it as though it complicates matters. You know, it was always too complicated to bring back Colton Wong. It's too complicated to go after Albert Pujols to, to supplement your bench. And, like, there, there are fair arguments for the Pujols thing. There, there might be some fair arguments because you didn't know he was going to go off and perform as well as he has so far with the Dodgers. But with Wong, the only reason that you could justify it was the money and they weren't sure about attendance. And I, I thought that was a little flimsy at the time. I, I said so. And now you're, you're going to see full attendance and it's not going to be an issue financially for the team. They're going to wish they had Colton Wong. Go get somebody that maybe there's a little flexibility, but more important than any of that, they can hit. They can flat-out rake because I think this this offense is missing those kinds of bats that when your stars aren't going, you don't have a lot to fall back on right now. Arenado said over the weekend about how they're all kind of struggling at the same time, and normally you get you know a couple guys struggling, but then you got a couple others to pick up the players who aren't quite at their best right now. The Cardinals are experiencing a lot of these struggles and guys feeling a touch off all at the same time. So add an extra player who's really good, who might be able to to to, to jibe it, you know, bring it back together when your guys are struggling and they can they can be added to the mix. I just I think you've got a lot of talent, but if two months from now we're talking about the fact that the Cardinals never really made any additions at the deadline, and yet this is still what the offense is, and they're sitting around 500 entering September. It's going to be too late at that point. And I know the Cardinals don't want to sacrifice the future, and and I don't think they should be sacrificing the future to a grand extent. But we see trades made every year. Every trade deadline, there are moves made, and you say, oh, that's all all it took to get that guy? Maybe this year the Cardinals can be one of those teams in season that makes a move. They make good moves in the offseason. Trading for Goldsmith, trading for Arenado, I think those are good moves, even if ultimately the contracts end up being... You know, looking a little bit rough toward the end. If the guys decline, you hope their their level of play can be maintained through the course of the contract. But you understand if some of those things happen, and sometimes you're going to let guys go. Marcelo Zuna, we've talked about that trade. It didn't pan out. Like, there were, there were guys who weren't at the tippy-top of the prospect leaderboard for the Cardinals, and they turned out to be really good players, and the Cardinals, they lost that trade. It happens, though. You can't be afraid to dip your toe into the water because of losing prior deals. And this time, it's we're talking about an in-season acquisition. The Cardinals have not been at the top of the leaderboard at, at being able to make those. So I'll be interested to see kind of how this next month or so unfolds ahead of the trade deadline. But more than that, 
I'll be interested to see how the Cardinals finish June because they've got every opportunity to, to finish it in a really strong fashion. We'll see how it goes, and we'll be talking about it, of course, on B-Shape Daily. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Spotify and at Apple Podcasts and, heck, even Google Podcasts. So subscribe at your favorite listening venue, and we'll be here for you throughout the course of the Cardinals season. Thank you guys once again for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily.